From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. The Book of Genesis, Sefer Bereshit. Genesis 41, Miketz, Dreams. In this week's portion of the Torah, we see dreams once again playing a major role in Yosef's life. As a youth, he told his family of the dreams he had that fired up his brother's jealousy and led to his being sold into slavery. While in the dungeon, Yosef accurately interpreted dreams for Pharaoh's two While in the dungeon, Yosef accurately inter- calls upon Yosef's ability to understand the significance of his dream. Hashem used dreams to guide Yosef's life to save his family and much of the world from famine. In fact, dreams have been a fairly common way that Hashem communicated with the forefathers and prophets and even to certain non-Jews throughout the ages. But what about our dreams? Are they of any significance or are they merely jumbled thoughts left over from our busy days? Even common dreams are considered one-sixtieth of prophecy and can be explored to gain insight into our subtle concerns or even our needs. Here are some interesting things about dreams that can help us to use them in our spiritual life. Dreams dreamed in the morning are more likely to come true. All dreams contain an aspect of truth and an aspect of foolishness, so they certainly cannot be relied upon. Dreams follow their interpretation, and while part of the dream might be fulfilled, the whole of it is never fulfilled. A righteous person is given bad dreams to worry him into repentance, while a sinful person is given pleasant dreams to lull him into complacency. Obviously, the dreams we remember vividly usually are of our greatest concerns. Normal dreams are simply thoughts coming into the mind that deal with leftover concerns or interests of the day and are completely forgotten. But if you pay attention, you can remember your dreams and search to see if, in fact, they have any significance. The following is an interesting example of how dream interpretation can help. Some years ago, a non-religious Israeli came up to me at the Kotel. He told me he had had a dream about the Kotel and it was bothering him very much. He wanted me to explain the dream to him. Of course, I told him that I was not an interpreter of dreams, but seeing how upset he was, I asked him about the dream. He said that in his dream he was washing the Kotel and that the water splashed off the wall, falling onto some candles that were burning close by. The water put out the candles. He was upset, and he did not know why. The answer came to me at once, not in words, not in actual mental pictures, but in a clear understanding of the dream's meaning. To be sure I was right, I asked if anyone in his near family had recently passed away. He said, yes, his father. I told him, this is what your dream meant. You feel that even though you have been praying for your father in your own personal way, since your prayers are so sincere, they must be so pleasing to God that they are actually washing the coattail. But since you have not been praying in a traditional way, but simply praying how you feel is best, your prayers have actually been putting out the lighted candles that are traditionally lighted to remember the dead. 
Right away he saw that the interpretation was correct, and he happily said that from then on he would follow the ancient prescribed tradition. Obviously I was not able to explain his dream because of some mystical gift. Rather, it was because I am familiar with the Kotel and the significance of lighted candles there. If someone were to splash water on them, I would not feel good. This is how we can try to explain or understand our dreams. Simply put yourself into the situation that you dreamed and try to understand why it happened. You got just what you deserved. In this week's portion of the Torah, we again see the principle measure for measure, meter connect meter, being clearly explained. Understanding this concept can be extremely helpful in trying to unravel why certain things happen to us. Its formal name is measure for measure, but its common name is probably tit for tat. This concept is integral to the fundamental design of how the world works. It explains that whatever comes to us does so for a good reason, that all effects have a somehow matching cause, and that nothing just falls out of the sky by accident. Last week we began discussing this subject, and this week we will see it clearly played out. This week, Yosef, who was hiding his true identity, accused his brothers of being spies. He was the master, and he demanded that one of them remain in prison while the other brothers return to their land and bring their younger brother, Benjamin, back down into Egypt. They were terribly distraught and were trying to fathom why this horrible event was happening to them. One of them said, We are guilty concerning our brother Yosef, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we would not listen, therefore is this come upon us. They had thrown their brother into the pit 22 years before this happened to them. So why would they now feel that particular act was the cause of their present problems? Here are some of the similarities that led them to conclude that their treatment of Yosef brought them their present crisis. 1. They had thrown one of their brothers into a pit, and now another one of their brothers was to be thrown into the dungeon as surety that they would return. 2. They forced their brother to go down into Egypt as a slave to be controlled by his masters, the Egyptians. Now they are being forced to bring their brother, Benjamin, down into Egypt to fall into the hands of his new master, an Egyptian. 3. Yosef, whom they forced down into Egypt, had been their father's most beloved son. Now Benjamin was being forced to go down into Egypt, and he was their father's most beloved son. 4. They did not pay heed to their brothers crying out for help, and now no one was there to pay heed to their cries. And five, they told their father Yaakov that Yosef was gone, and now they were to take Benjamin from him. On and on they saw the similarities between what they had done and what was now befalling them. We see this principle throughout the Torah. To cite just a few of the other examples. One, Cain's curse was that the land would not produce its crop for him. This particular curse came to him because the land had to soak up the blood of his brother whom he killed. 2. Yaakov fooled his father, Yitzchak, by wearing his brother Esau's garments. 
since he fooled his father with his brother's garments, Yosef's brothers later fooled him when they showed him Yosef's blood-soaked garment. 3. Miriam was stricken with a disease that forced her to be alone, outside the camp, away from other people. This particular retribution came to her to rectify her sin of spreading gossip to other people, which meant that she now had to be alone. 4. Even Moshe himself did not escape this principle. God commanded Moshe to speak to the rock, but instead he hid it. God told him that by hitting the rock, rather than speaking to it, he failed to sanctify God's name. By doing this, he did not give glory to God. The land of Israel's purpose is to reveal God's presence in the world, to sanctify God, and to give him glory. Since in this case Moshe failed to sanctify God's name outside the land of Israel, God refused him entry into the land that was created solely to sanctify his name. Do not think that this principle applies only to negative deeds. When good comes into our lives, we can and should trace those occurrences back to the good things that we were privileged to do that brought them about. King David wrote, With the loyal you deal loyally, with the blameless man blamelessly, with the pure you act purely, and with the perverse you are wily. It is you who deliver lowly folk, but haughty eyes you humble. We see that what we do comes back to us, both the good and the bad. Does this mean that life is fatalistic? What hope is there once a deed is done? Won't the repercussions of that deed come back onto us, which in turn will lead us to repeat that same type of behavior, which again will bring those very repercussions? Are we stuck forever in this cycle of viciousness? The repercussions will return again and again until we turn. Each of us has free will, even in the face of our returning repercussions. We can turn any way we want at any time. However, even though we are free to choose to jump out of the window, once we jump, we are not free to choose if we will land. How can this be a practical help to us? By examining the good things we experience, we can see which actions cause them to come. Then naturally, we will want to do more of them. And conversely, when we realize what specific negative things we did brought upon us those particular negative results, we will obviously turn from that behavior. As the saying goes, what goes around comes around. Or, as the Torah teaches, this portion brings about that portion, measure for measure. Missing Them Last Friday night, a bunch of American boys came to my house for dinner. As usual, I was trying to push them into being more active and reaching out to their fellow Jews to try to bring them closer to the Torah. I was using one of my familiar techniques. How many times have you put on tefillin? I asked the oldest of the group. In my life, he asked. Well, I've been putting them on for seven years, so that's about 2,200 times, he quickly figured. And how many times have you put them on others, I asked. Well, one time. What, I yelled? How can you be so selfish? And that guy probably had to ask you to help him. 
He looked offensive, and then with his head down, he said, Well, to tell you the truth, they found out that my tefillin were not kosher, and I was putting on improper tefillin for five years. So I guess I've been putting them on only for two years. One of the guys across the table asked, What was wrong with them? A word was missing, he answered. What word was missing, I asked. Them, he answered. Look at that. Amazing, I said. Your tefillin were missing the word them. That's the whole point of what I was just saying to you. You have been putting on tefillin only for your own benefit and never stopped to think about the other Jews you saw who weren't putting them on. So God said to you, Okay, if you're going to leave them out of your tefillin, so will I. God showed you how wrong this is by giving back to you exactly what you have been doing, I continued. It is a great blessing to see this help in your life as long as you learn from it. Not only is this an obvious example of how God uses meter kenega meter to guide us, it is also shows us that tefillin and mezuzahs are not just pieces of dead cows hanging on our arms and doorposts. These are the fulfillment of the commandments of the creator of the universe. And although these commandments must be carried out with joy, they are very serious spiritual tools not to be taken lightly. There is one.com.